Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I'm very happy to have a special guest, Dean Monteleone from the Karen Atlanta Outpatient uh, Treatment Program. Dean, welcome. So glad that you're here. This is an interesting topic and um, one that I think our listeners are going to be really interested in. But I wanted to give a little background on you, Dean, if that's okay with you. So you are the clinical director for the Karen Atlanta Outpatient Program. And in a moment, I may ask you to just describe the Karen uh, continuum a little bit and, and tell us a little bit about your program. But Dean earned his bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Pittsburgh, your master's degree in counseling psychology from Chatham University, and you're a licensed clinical or licensed professional counselor, both here in Atlanta as well as in Pennsylvania, correct? So um, Dean has a lot of clinical experience and has worked with the Karen um, Continuum, not just here in Atlanta, but also in uh, Pennsylvania. So tell us a little bit about Karen Treatment Centers. Sure. Um, well, appreciate the invite here. So Karen Treatment Centers, we're, we're a family-based drug and alcohol treatment center. Uh, we've been around for about, about 60 or so years now. Um, started out with Dick and Catherine Karen um, and just sort of grew little by little. Year they literally year. Bought, brought people home to their ha- house. Is that the story? That's, that's how it began. Uh, they were just trying to, as, as part of Dick's sort of 12-step work, um, giving back to his community, his local community, they brought um, individuals up that were struggling with alcoholism at the time. And um, while he worked with the one person, uh, you know, Catherine worked with the family members of that person. And then little by little, more people started to come, mm-hmm. more people started to get well. And at a certain point, I forget the exact year, but they converted into an official treatment center. And um, and then just started to slowly grow and grow and mm-hmm. grow. And over the years, uh, it's been such a blessing because we've been able to really identify different populations, different uh, setups, different ways to help people mm-hmm. uh, beyond just, at the time, you know, back in the 50s, would have been just, you know, traditional 28-day or see a psychiatrist, you know, and now we've got over 35 different services, programs, uh, levels of care, ways to help support people on the, on the front end for prevention work, on the back end for, for aftercare work to mm-hmm. help them uh, maintain the gains that they've achieved while in treatment and move into what I would describe as kind of mid-range recovery or even long-term recovery. Uh, we have an amazing alumni network of both patients and families all across the East Coast, um, Actually, I would even say nationally. Um, so it's a, it's a lot available at Karen. Um, but I always love the fact that it always started with the, that family story. I do, Just too. Just trying to give back. Just trying to give back. And and the, the great thing about Karen is not only is it one of the oldest treatment programs in the United States, um, it is also a not-for-profit so it has not been gobbled up by the large uh, <laughs> uh, healthcare complexes that have been purchasing treatment centers around the country, but it has maintained itself as a, a not-for-profit. It works for what is the best thing for the patient and their family. Sometimes it's not Karen. There might be um, needs that the person has, and they might be better served at another treatment program or at a different level of care. And I always appreciate being able to call and ask someone from 
from the Karen family, uh, and by that I mean the uh, not not the literal Karen family, but um, to reach out to. Um, uh, people in the admissions department or the regional uh, service coordinators that are able to give me some really good resources and help for my patients if it's not a fit for Karen. So they have the program, the main program, which is up in Wernersville, Pennsylvania, correct? And where else um, can you get services? So we also have a, a residential facility with a, with a full continuum down in Florida uh, in the Boca Raton. And then we also have some regional centers, like we do here in Atlanta, that have uh, different layers of services available to support the specific community. Um, some of those are available in New York, uh, D.C., Philadelphia, and up in Boston as well. So depending on kind of where you're from along the East Coast, uh, mm-hmm. probably there's probably some people nearby that can help. That can help, which I really like. Now, Karen, Atlanta um, has opened... Um, at their in their new location here in uh, Dunwoody, and uh, it's a great new facility. Would you like to tell folks how they might get in contact with you or learn a little more about your programs? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a very exciting. We're over by uh, Perimeter Mall, not too far from uh, the P.F. Chang's, actually right across the parking lot from there. Um, but it's a beautiful building, uh, 1200 Ashwood Parkway. Uh, we're Suite 125, so as soon as you walk in the door, you just Take a left. But it's a great facility. We've got uh, multiple group rooms. We've got a few flex rooms, uh, so which, is, which has really been wonderful because it allows us from a clinical perspective to do different types of programming depending on the patient community that we have um, or the family community that we have. We do a number of family services as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and with what it has also opened up is an opportunity to do educational workshops for uh, professionals in the area, uh, families in the area, also alumni that have been a part of the recovery community for a while, it gives them a central place to, to mm-hmm. meet, you know, a, a central safe place uh, to meet together. So it's it's really allowed us to be versatile in the way that we're able to help both patients and individuals kind of on the front end coming in, uh, maybe who might be looking at sobriety for their first time, right. um, and then also those that have been a part of that recovery community for uh, months, years sometimes, and it allows them an opportunity to give back to community, uh, which, is, which is part of some of that 12-step work, is giving back. If you are interested in learning more about the services that are available at Karen Atlanta or at any of the other Karen centers, you can go to the web at www.karen, which is now get your pen and paper ready, and we'll repeat this again uh, in future segments, but Karen is spelled C-A-R-O-N dot org. And um, go to www.caron.org, and you'll be able to find out information about all kinds of things, about the disease of addiction, uh, codependency, issues for families, loved ones, friends. Also, information about their treatment uh, continuum from uh, high-intensity inpatient or residential treatment programs and, and detox all the way to an outpatient program such as the one that we have here in Atlanta. So please check it out. I think you'll be very pleased. They also have an amazing research department, and I want to give a shout-out to Aaron Denicky, who uh, runs the research center there. Part of the work that Karen is dedicated to doing is not just 
just, and I'm using air quotes here, but it's not just about treatment. It's also about finding out what is the best treatment, looking at the programs, doing research, finding out what makes sense for the patients and their families, and also looking at some of the issues as this um, disease continues to morph in the sense that I I feel... um, Uh, a a little frustrated in the sense that we finally learned how to treat opioid addiction and now we're seeing the second wave of um, prescription drug addiction which is the stimulants and uh, that's a that's a whole nother kettle of fish so the drugs and the ways in which people act out in their addiction uh, varies and keeping an eye on what's happening is one of the good things that Karen does. And speaking of that, they just came out with a wonderful study uh, looking at pressure on teens. And I think this is an amazing study that was, um, that was done recently. Yeah, the team did a, did a great job with this. Um, it was very interesting because from the, from the clinical world, uh, we started to notice these trends. And as we, as we had those dialogues as a, as a large team, this information starts to pose wonderfully valid research questions. And I, as you mentioned, Dr. Denicky uh, is fantastic with this and really took the time to look into the phenomenon that we're seeing on a day-to-day kind of almost anecdotal level and found that the problem is actually much more substantial than we realized. Um, so what she did was that she actually pulled about 1,000 uh, families, uh, both parents and also the, the teens, and looked at this concept of performance anxiety, performance pressure. Mm-hmm. That has, has recently, I would say, probably been fairly new in our society the last probably 10 years or so. And um, what they found was, was startling. Um, with the birth of social media, they, were, they found that 63% of parents, not just the kids, but parents with social media accounts, found that they use social media as a tool to help their parenting, and it has made them more competitive. <laughs> oh, dear. And when I heard that, it was. It was fascinating because it brought me back to some of the, the day-to-day stories that I would hear from families around you know, a great time here with the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. You know, there are many families, particularly when they're moving into early recovery, we utilize holidays as an opportunity for new traditions um, to move mm-hmm. away from some of the old, uh, oftentimes uh, stressful and emotional events of the past. And in that conversation, I would hear more and more families describe this immense pressure to create this what I'm almost going to call an Instagram Thanksgiving, that this, this perfect turkey with the little feet things on it and, you know, the vegetables and, and all of those things and just having everything look like a, a, a perfect picture. And what got lost in that conversation was my original question to them of, so what does your family do mm-hmm. together for the holidays? You know, what are your family's traditions? You know, is it, you know, you, you watch television for a bit or you play football out back or everybody helps do the dishes and you know, things like that. And that had gotten lost with the, the presentation. Right. And it was finding moms and dads just under this enormous pressure to live up to a, in a way, almost a Hollywood standard or an Internet standard that, that, that wasn't real. And the, what was lost in that process was that family connection, which is at its core what holidays are supposed to be about. And it was fascinating because I think Prior to that, our, our focus had been on teens in school and their performance around grades and, and mm-hmm. success and you know, college preparation you know, as early as first, second grade sometimes. Yes. Um, you know, 
we're starting college prep almost 10 years in advance before it's even really a conversation. And what does that do for the development of a, of a, of a young child, of a, of a young man, a young woman, you know, as they're growing up? And it creates almost, a, to some degree, a tunnel vision as mm-hmm. to what healthy, successful looks like. It looks like an A, or it looks like an admission ticket to such and such university, or it looks like um, you know, a perfect score on the SATs. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, I mean, we're human, life is complex. There are many measures of success, not just academic. And what is interesting, and this is where it's sort of connected back into some of the substance issues, is that when our goal or our measure of well, or health and wellness is geared towards a grade, the question then becomes for the person, how do I achieve that grade? So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to try and answer that question. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, my special guest is Dean Monteleone, and he is the clinical director for Karen Atlanta. It's an outpatient uh, treatment program and um, the Atlanta Center for the Karen Services and access to the Karen Services throughout the continuum. I did tell you to get your paper and pencil, so the address the website for you to go to to find out more about not just the services that we talked about earlier but also some of these research studies like the one we're talking about today you can go to www.karen.org that's www.karen.org or you can call them at 678-543-5718 and uh, we will repeat that information uh, for you in the next segment. One of the important things for us um, to talk about, and I really liked your um, <laughs> your reference to the Instagram Thanksgiving. I think that so often the message to everyone is it doesn't matter how you feel, just look good. Just look good for the picture. Everybody can be very unhappy, very unhealthy, but if the picture looks good, then we're successful. And right before the break, we were talking about the measures of success and how sometimes those get distorted 
or um, we don't appreciate that there's more to success than you got into an Ivy League college. Yeah, what we're finding is that many, many teens and and even down into middle school have have found it not just um, appealing to lean on chemicals or uh, it tends to fall into sort of two categories. Um, For the performance-related achievement, uh, amphetamines tend to be the preferred choice because it it helps enhance uh, focus, energy, Summers for some folks it reduces distractions um, and allows them to get the actual task or work done. However, on the counterbalance to that, it also creates a tremendous amount of stress and unmanageability as they're trying to sort of regulate their burst of energy. And this is where other depressants come in, like alcohol and marijuana, things like mm-hmm. that, um, or some other prescription pills. And what ends up happening, uh, especially as the results seem effective, you know, so uh, for example, if they achieve an A, they, they get that A plus, they got, um, they, done, they did well on their SAT scores or whatever it was, it reinforces the message right. that in order for me to be successful, I need to have this chemical composition as a part mm-hmm. of my preparation process, which is a very, very different thought process than, than years ago, because the thought process before was that in order for me to achieve, you know, high grades or get into it, what I need is I need right teachers around me. I need the right academic right. Me. I need a good study group that's going to challenge me mm-hmm. on my perspective of things. I need a, a safe, quiet space, um, or I need a, you know, a, a space that's not distracting. Mm-hmm. All of those conversations have changed radically over the years. It's amazing. I'm hyper-focused on how do I get the results achieved. And this is where chemicals come in. Um, and it's, it's amazing because the attitude or the shift towards use of chemicals for performance enhancement has changed. You know, part of the study that they found was that at least one in ten people find chemicals, marijuana, stimulants, alcohol, to be a necessary part of their achievement path for academics. And this is the young people, not the parents. These are the teens. These are the teens, 13 to 18 year olds. And it's either to help either improve their performance or it's to help alleviate the stress related to and, and that's, 10% may not sound like a startling number, but it's, it is striking because that fact right there wasn't even in a conversation five, 10 years ago. Right. A considerable right. That wasn't uh, in the, uh, the, the checklist of good things to help you achieve and get good grades. Yeah. The, the good study uh, tips list that we used to get, you know, in school mm-hmm. didn't include chemical standards. Right. But today, it's part of a common belief, and you know, that, that continues to spread a little bit. What else was fascinating is that nearly 80% of the teens that we, we surveyed looked to their parents and their behaviors as having an incredibly deep influence on how they chose to approach performance. Interesting. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. if, we, if we step back for a moment, you know, I think we can all probably agree parents are wonderful role models. and you know, Most important. Mirror behaviors and practices, the values, attitudes, all of that, you know, onto you know the next generation of mm-hmm. children. And I don't know if this was one of the intended messages that you know, I think was, was meant to be passed down. But 82% of teenagers looking to their parents for it are, are picking up some <coughs> behaviors from them. And I think we see that today in our society. You know, I mean, look at the prevalent rate of, of workaholism that comes through. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the hyper-focus on you know, long hours, long days, uh, compromised weekends, um, 
a, you know, a commuting time. You know, for those in the Atlanta area, right. <laughs> all of you can probably relate. <laughs> uh, being attached to your phone. Uh, having um, the expectation that I'm going to be available to my work, to my um, my boss, my employees, whomever, 24-7, whether I'm on vacation or not. So that kind of attachment to your phone or your other communication devices that result in uh, you never really having the downtime. The workaholism is a big deal. Right. It, it creates a message of very porous boundaries. You know, when does the when does the work day end? Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, many years ago they used to be very clear and easy to distinguish. There was a whistle. There was, <laughs> there was a whistle. It was you know, uh, the short commute home, and then you know, you, you take the hat off and put it on this on, uh, on the rack. Um, but our, our our world and our society has changed. You know, uh, work has has infiltrated the home life mm-hmm. um, in many ways. Out of out of convenience, it has been a blessing for many families that have allowed them to balance. You know, work right. And, and, and family life, um, but for others, it's uh, it, it's it's really drawn a difficult, difficult gray line that is that is hard to see, um, particularly for adults. Even more so for teens that haven't had the experience of adults. You know, so you can imagine, you know, as a you know, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen-year-old, you know, looking to parents who are working, you know, ten, twelve-hour days, and you know, part of that's commute, and you know, they come home. How do you feel after a day like that? Stressed, exhausted, probably a little grumpy. Grumpy. <laughs> you know, and you know, how as parents, how do we, how do we demonstrate managing that stress? Far too often, it's picking up a drink. Smoking a joint, taking a pill, um, somehow checking out. Yep. yep, and that that behavior pattern gets observed, and it fits it fits well into the message that again is being sort of perpetrated elsewhere um, through social media. You know, it's, you know mm-hmm. chemical uses become very normalized in certain contexts, um, and so it's very challenging for a teen who's trying to find their own way to kind of walk through this world. And you're seeing these images, uh, almost bludgeoned with these images to some degree, and, and and to really sort of figure out, okay, how is there another way? And and for teens, sometimes they they've not been introduced to another way. So that isn't something they've learned. Mm-hmm. It's not something they've seen modeled. What they've seen modeled is chemical coping, right. and that is um, unfortunate because. Well, let's face it, sometimes chemical coping really works. And when it really works, it makes it the, the easier method than learning how to uh, unwind, maybe exercise, take a walk, um, sit down and have a discussion with your loved ones, hang out, as everybody says, and just enjoy uh, time together to offload the stress of the day. And you hit the, the nail in the head right there. It's one of the big challenges is that this, this chemical coping wave is effective, sort of. Right, for a while. For, for a short period of time, it does, in fact, work. And, you know, we, we give some examples of, you know, parents after a long day of work. You know, you can take that example to teens as well. You know, I, I look at uh, stimulant medication. It's incredibly helpful, sharpens focus, and, in fact, it does It work does work. For that intended purpose, sort of. Because it also has after effects. The more reliant someone becomes on that particular medication, you know, or non-medication, or for you know, talking about alcohol or, or other pills or marijuana, things like that, um, 
it's that reliance cycle that starts to eliminate other healthy coping options. Right. And this is where things start to become a problem. When people get stuck in a cycle where they feel as though they only have one method to deal mm-hmm. with a certain problem, that's that's not who we are as a people. I mean, we're, we're an adaptable, variable right. kind of people, and, and we're built that way. And that's, that's part of the beauty of humanity. When we narrow ourselves to just one singular path, we're not living up to our potential. And we see that in some of the, some of the studies that have come out. And this, I think, is a very unfortunate um, situation because um, exploring different options, finding out whether music helps me or a walk helps me or uh, maybe I like to paint or maybe I like to uh, play sports or watch sports. There's a lot of different ways, if you think about it, that people can relax and unwind or prepare themselves um, to be sharp and focused and ready to take a test, like go to bed at night and eat a good meal and get up on time and um, be prepared, have your number two pencil or your computer um, available and, and be prepared. These are these are skills that you can learn, and, and what works for me may not work for you. But when you've got only one option and you haven't explored not only things that can bring uh, some joy and interest to your life, but ways in which you can be healthy, it, it it's very scary, and it's really hard when we tell that person when they've gotten into trouble with a drug or alcohol or what our behavior that is addictive, that you can't do that anymore. The panic that you see in that person's face is is remarkable and very, um, very scary for them. They, they really don't want to hear that we're going to take away their one way to cope. Yeah, it, it, it reaches a point of almost desperation to some point uh, because they've, when they're at that point, they've been in, as a part of that cycle for a while. Mm-hmm. And one of the striking things that we found as part of the survey is that 70% of the people were desperate to have another way to deal with stress, to deal with this anxiety, to deal with that performance pressure. 70%. That's a lot. Now, what that tells me is that there's a lot of people out there that are stuck in this cycle that want mm-hmm. options. They want to know how to do things differently because they've realized this works, but I can't sustain this forever. This can't be my only main method. And so there's a there's an awareness there for people that are sort of caught in this cycle, but they're not sure how to get out of it. Right. And that's that's the challenging part. It's how to help people sort of step out of that routine, how to how to break out of some of that cycle, mm-hmm. and to move in a different direction. And, and as you said, see what works best for them. You know, what works for me may not work for you. And right. That's okay. That's okay. But there's more options than just one. There's more than just one, and unfortunately, the message is coming through loud and clear for most uh, young people that stimulants are a way to solve your problem to help you be successful, whether it's with sports, whether it's with academics, whether um, it's with your outside job. Um, A lot of students are coming up with ways to get access to stimulants, and when I mentioned a few moments ago we're in our second wave of this prescription drug epidemic, 
we are seeing the behavior on the part of high school students and college students and professional uh, school students that they are now finding ways to convince a doctor that they have ADD. And they are finding ways to get access to this medication. Sometimes it's through uh, getting their own prescription. Sometimes it's through buying it from a friend who does not want to take their ADD medicine. Because when you really have ADD, you usually don't like to take the medicine. True ADD, the medication is um, paradoxical. It stimulates a filter that slows your brain down and helps you focus. And so that slowing down of the brain is not something that some folks with ADD really like. So it doesn't make them energized. It doesn't help them keep up all night. That's not what the medicine is for, but that's what many students are using it for. And we're seeing that same progression of the students getting the medication, however they're getting it, and at some point, either their doctor won't write any more or they have to go so- see multiple doctors and multiple pharmacies and pay out of pocket. Um, we see this process just like we saw with prescription drugs. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this process. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Please be sure to check out the Karen website www.caron.org. You can look at this study and more details uh, behind it, as well as some other very interesting studies um, that have been done over the years at Karen looking at um, behaviors, looking at uh, the process of the disease, looking at impact on family, and other very interesting and important topics. Very helpful. So right before the break, we were talking about this second wave of prescription drug epidemic, which is uh, the students are now trying to get the medication to help them study, to help them in a way that they think is going to make them more successful. They've doctor shopped. They're buying it at multiple pharmacies. They're trying to buy it from their friends. But soon this becomes very expensive, just like we saw with prescription opioids, that they, their supply gets cut off. Their doctor won't write it anymore. There are problems um, paying for it. And so the, the students and the young people and a lot of professional people are now showing up for treatment of stimulant addiction, they've now had to go and and start using cocaine or methamphetamine. And those uh, substances are very plentiful and available and not as expensive as trying to get a prescription from a doctor and um, pay for it out of pocket. So this, this pressure... Um, to perform in this idea that I've got to, I've got to do this, and I've got to uh, somehow these these medications are going to help me. Uh, the person not realizing, no, you, you're the one that's smart. You're the one that knows this information. This medicine isn't going to give it to you. Um, it's just interesting to see how distorted and frantic people get, and then the medications really don't work, and now they're not sleeping for days at a time, and they're losing weight, and lots of other bad things are happening. So this idea of um, the chemical coping in order to be successful is um, is a growing problem that we're seeing all the time. Absolutely, and that, it's, that distorted perception we're seeing play out in a few different areas. You know, earlier when we talked about Instagram, we, we shared the, you know, the the mistake of looking at a sort of picture perfect sort of Hollywood scenario, right? Because uh, that's not that's not real life. There's a lot of effort and the whole teams of people that go into making the pictures and the movies and et cetera look the way that they do. Um, in real life, real life people look different. Right. <laughs> we, we look like normal people. <laughs> but what's amazing to me is that it's that perception that individuals have. And, and part of the study that we looked at, were, we had both parents and teens for kind of where they thought the source of this pressure was coming from. And it's amazing that the perception on both sides of the equation came from the person themselves as the majority of it. Right. So what that means is that the person is putting tremendous pressure on themselves mm-hmm. to perform to a level that, that may or may not be attainable, whatever their standards might be. And what's amazing is that also a part of that, when we asked the, the students, the, the teenagers, 38% of them, in comparing themselves to others, felt that other people were doing better than they were. Mm-hmm. Creating this, this secular, uh, pro- almost self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree right. that I am it sends the internal message that I am never good enough. 
Right. Johnny and Susie and Henry and all my colleagues are always doing better. That's how it feels, anyways, as a perception. When in reality, that may not be the case at all. You know, the the, the, the student might be the you know top of their class. Right. But if in their own mind or when they look in the mirror, they see something completely different or they feel less than, now this performance piece is starting to add emotional issues to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's starting to distort their own self-image. And that creates long-term problems down the road because then we start to ask, well, how, how is that image being, being corrected or being healed or being brought back to what's, what's real and accurate and truthful? And in such a fast-paced world, with the, the speed of social media, the speed with which we are we are, we are moving children through childhood into right. <laughs> into adulthood and into um, kind of the next stages of their life, um, that conversation I'm finding is not often happening until they're young adults mm-hmm. in late twenties and thirties, and they're they're having an opportunity to look back at a very very swift childhood. You know, going from you know elementary school, middle school to oh my gosh, all of a sudden I've been working in the field for five, ten years. What happened to the childhood? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was driven by a lot of this performance of you know, you know, kind of one step to the next, and you know, the ultimate goal is job, and, and just almost a tunnel vision to a degree. Um, and that perception is is very different than it was years ago, and and we're finding that that perception is very destructive to a person's self, sense of well-being. Um, and it's having an effect on families as well because, as I mentioned, it's not just the students. Parents are now feeling the same kind of distorted pressure and distorted perception of what a healthy family looks like. Right, and the, and the, um, the part that you mentioned earlier with the parents using social media, uh, looking for ways to be good parents and parenting tips and yet now feeling competitive and just like their kids are feeling less than and not good enough, the parents are also becoming more discouraged and more competitive um, and, and in a sense putting more pressure on themselves and then subsequently on their on their teen to to perform and uh, to make the family look so good in those Instagram pics. Yeah, I mean, how, how many families have we met that, you know, the conversation begins with, you know, hey, what, what extracurricular activity would Johnny like to do? You know, would you like to play basketball, maybe do mm-hmm. band, maybe do drama, maybe whatever it might be. You know, and then the next year we, you know, catch up with the family and now it's, oh, he's doing uh, football and basketball and drama and band and, and the list just goes on and on and on. And as you talk with the family, you're starting to hear part of it was almost a competitive nature. Mm-hmm. You know, when parents are getting together and, the, and their own social connection, it's, uh, in some respects, the, the badge of honor of how successful our children are doing right. has taken on a, an odd twist. You know, it, 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 for some reason it's not good enough anymore that Johnny loves playing basketball, whether he's, you know, a star player or not or headed to the NBA or he just has fun at the church league on, you know, on the weekends. And, but he enjoys it, and he's made friends, which used to be the measure of success. Now it's he has to be amazing at basketball and football, and that's a reflection of me as a parent. Right. Because my child has learned how to manage you know, nine sports throughout the year and get straight A's and do this and, I don't know, work 30 hours a week and service work and all. And it's, it's just this huge list of things that is, when you sit down and do the math, it's amazing how, how many some families... Mm-hmm. How some families are able to even just orchestrate all of that, right? Without going goofy. I mean, it's it's a lot to manage over the course of a week, and it takes a toll. 
And you don't hear the fun time and the play time and the um, I'm doing this because I just like to do it as opposed to I have to go to soccer and then I've got to do my homework and then I've got to practice piano and then I've got to get ready for um, my SATs. Where's the laughter? The, the joy is not there. It is certainly not there. And that that's really discouraging, I think, because you see it when you look in the faces. If you look in the non-Instagram pictures, <laughs> but you just look in the faces of, of, of uh, families and kids, um, you often see that there, there's um, a sadness, there's fatigue, there's um, a depression. And we do see a lot of um, young people now with mood disorders, um, taking antidepressants on medications for anxiety, medications for sleep, all kinds of things that, um, and maybe they need them and that's good and maybe they, they have sophisticated parents that are getting them treatment early and I commend that. But I'm also afraid that some of our the pressure and the expectations are really setting these kids up for um, a lifelong of feeling um, not good enough and, um, and unhappy. And they're living someone else's life and somebody else's dream and somebody else's goals, not necessarily their own. So you mentioned that the, uh, both for the parents and the kids, a lot of that pressure they feel is internal, that they are putting pressure on themselves uh, to do well or to be successful. Uh, where, where else is the pressure coming from? Well, there's other pressure coming from, uh, from their peers. From their friends, um, or in the parent scenario, their their peers and their friends, um, and then also from the from the schools themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our academic and educational system has evolved over the years. It is it's very much geared towards moving individuals from one level to the next and, and down the line, all the way through higher education. Um, and sometimes, sometimes students can keep pace with that, and sometimes others need to move at a different pace, and that's okay. But I don't know that our system allows for that right. flexibility to some degree. Um, and I would say the same thing towards parents. Um, you know, raising a child is an incredibly challenging, difficult job that... Even on a good day. <laughs> to my knowledge, the man- manual somehow mm-hmm. got lost many moons ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so many parents are, are doing their absolute best to figure out how to do this in real time. Right. Which is, which is not a very forgiving system. Because <laughs> you, know, you have to sort of think a lot on the fly and just make your best mm-hmm. guess in some scenarios. Right. You know, and that's okay. And that's part of the beauty of us being human is that we learn from mm-hmm. those days. We learn from those moments. Uh, those, those small decisions can sometimes have huge uh, outcomes, positive and negative, down the line. And when we start to kind of feel pressure from other systems and other setups, you know, schools, peers, parents, mm-hmm. um, themselves, it just it, it really throws off that, that rhythm sets us up for, as you were kind of describing, uh, you know, a, a lifelong or lifelong of feeling less than, um, or, or, or in some respects, setting it up for failure. You know, if the measure of success is academic performance A+, plus, is an A- minus really failure? Apparently, apparently. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we might help um, relieve some of this pressure. So please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. 
If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today we've been talking about a very interesting topic, and it's based on some research that was done by uh, Karen Treatment Centers and um, their research department looking at the pressure that is on um, adolescents, uh, young adults, and um, the way that this is affecting not only the kids, but the parents. I, I found that one part of the study very interesting that when they interviewed the parents and said, uh, where do you think the pressure is coming from? The parents said it was the, the child's peers, that it was their friends that was putting the pressure on them. Um, but when they asked the children, uh, the young people, where the pressure was coming on from, they said the parents. So there's, and flans, friends were the very last. It was uh, themselves and then parents and then school and then their friends. So they weren't feeling this pressure to perform and be perfect as much from their friends and the parents completely um, misread that and felt like the pressure was was coming from um, from the friends and that's not the case so in looking at that um, which I think is really important information by the way um, it speaks to me in terms of we don't really talk 
And you mentioned earlier in the program that uh, next week is Thanksgiving and that many families will be gathering, sometimes from around the country, and maybe um, there may be some opportunities to change some of our traditions and find some ways to maybe interact in a more healthy way and learn some more healthy skills. Absolutely. Every time the holiday season comes around, um, and many of us, I, I think, get swept up in the, the pageantry of it and the, and the well, commercialization of it. Right. And, and, you know, all the other things that kind of come with it. Um, but at its core, I mean, uh, the holidays, particularly these winter holidays, were, are geared around family, time together, mm-hmm. you know, away from work, uh, where we can just kind of be families together, connect, um, catch up on the, you know, the last six months or year, maybe you know, however long it's been since we saw one another. Um, it really just kind of harkened back to the simpler times in mm-hmm. the past. And somewhere amidst the, the speed with which society has evolved to some degree, I think some of that has gotten gotten lost. Yes. Um, and what I, what I often share with families is that you don't have to continue to perpetuate that every year. You right. Know, you have a choice every holiday, quite frankly every day, you know, but every year to create a holiday that you want it to be. Um, traditions have tremendous value. You know, yes. Some of them go back generations. Right. Um, and what's wonderful about that, and I, I will often remind families, is that that tradition began at one point when someone said, hey, let's let's make a turkey the mm-hmm. third Thursday of every you know, November, you know, or let's do this, or let's play football as a family, you know, a little touch football game, or let's you know go shopping, or let's... That opportunity is still here today. Yes. So I invite families, you know, if you're if you're feeling kind of pressured and, and stressed, you know, with this holiday season approach, approaching, sort of take a moment and just slow down for a second and ask yourself, what would I like to do with my family? Mm-hmm. Clean, simple, you know, is it sit around and, and play cards together? Is it just mm-hmm. sit around and chat? Um, is it, you know, make a little campfire out back? You know, is, it, is it sharing in the meal preparation process, you know, and, and accepting and actually embracing the fact that it might turn out imperfect and non-Hollywood worthy. Non, non-photogenic. <laughs> because that, that really, you know, sharing a meal together is a wonderful exercise. Everyone gets a piece. Even little little ones can help out, um, you know, decorating, setting the table, cleaning up a little bit afterwards. Mm-hmm. And again, it brings us back to that moment of we as a family are celebrating this particular holiday. Um, the other piece that I often share is to is to be realistic and be in the moment. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm a big fan of planning, but you also have to be able to adapt that plan. Correct. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with some families that have things mapped out from about 9 a.m. until 10 p.m. to the minute, which is something we often do actually in a treatment setting. That we right. Every minute <laughs> um, but for a holiday with families, it, there should be some flexibility. It's mm-hmm. okay if, you know, some, some family members show up late. In fact, you know, most families have that one or two. Right. Cousin it's going to happen. They come a little bit late. That's okay. Embrace that. You know, be be present and be in the moment, and just allow that to be a moment to remember from this holiday. You know, we can frame things however we choose to. You know, if if, if Aunt Susie is you know late again this year, you know, I can I can make light of it and, and kind of have fun and sort of work with it a little bit, and we get some laughter generated. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Or I could get grumpy and frumpy and be mad because. Mm-hmm dinner was supposed to be on the table 11 minutes ago and it's not there now and now I'm off table and now when Hollywood calls they're not going to accept my Thanksgiving dinner picture's not going to look perfect right so so just be in the moment and, and go with
with the flow. You know, the, the important part of holiday life is our time together with your family, whatever mm-hmm. that may look like. And, and however you define your family, too. I think that's a very interesting, um, uh, the way that our, our families are these days. Uh, we don't all live in uh, a situation where we have multi-generations or even family members um, all able to be gathered together. So our family may look different from year to year, and we may include people that we care about, that we would like to share um, a meal with. Um, so uh, let the family be how it is. <laughs> Wonderful point. Yeah, I mean, there are you know, friends, coworkers, neighbors, mm-hmm. communities. Oh, it's all about who, who do we care about? Who do we want to share this moment with? You know, this moment in time with people that we care about. And it's so important. The other piece that I'd like to encourage people to do is to talk about your family history. And that may include uh, stories about grandma. It may include uh, some of the older folks in the family sharing what it was like when they were kids or what their Thanksgiving was like. But I also would like to encourage sharing of medical history and uh, letting the family members know that uh, we have a family history of heart disease or breast cancer or things that um, that may be really important for the individual to know and and look towards um, maybe being a little more diligent uh, and working with their doctor about prevention, but also the family history about addiction and the family history about psychiatric disorders. One of the ways to decrease stigma is to talk about these things and to be open and sharing. It is a very interesting to ask those questions of, of people. Um, do you have any family history of addiction? Do you have any family history of um, psychiatric disorders, depression, or anxiety? And look at the faces of people when they realize, I have no idea. Or, or what I find interesting is That's true. Which is fascinating to me because our our history uh, as individuals and also as a family is our history. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And the beauty of being able to look back on our history and and comfortably talk about it is that we can learn from it, grow from it. And as you said, prevention is a huge part of it. Yes. You know, imagine for for a moment, if you will, someone with, uh, you mentioned, kind of heart disease, you know, just drifts through 10, 20, 30, 40 years and not even realizing that they are in high risk genetically right from that something happens and now all of a sudden their eyes are open whereas had they known that you know multiple relatives along the historical lines you know had had difficulties with cardiac issues they would have taken different steps likely at the very least it would have normalized it for the person right and they would not feel as isolated and that's the beauty of talking about it and and, and I do want to recognize it's probably not a popular topic it's probably uncomfortable but the value in being able to talk about it with people is that it normalizes it and it brings people together right. on common ground. Which is what we want for Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, Dean. I appreciate your being here. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC